Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these... Are the other stories? <laughs> Today's episode of the other stories has been brought to you by us, Hawk and Cleaver, and a limited hardcover edition of the other stories best of collection, volume one. We still have a stack of them available, ready to ship out to you or your the other stories living friend or family member or pet. To grab one, head over to theotherstories.net forward slash best of. Once again, that's theotherstories.net forward slash best of. Today's episode is Two for Joy, and is a sequel to episode 42.2, One for Sorrow. Written and narrated by Alexandra Elroy. Robert has just mailed a proof to Martha, his boss who is sitting at the desk right behind him. He can tell she has received it when he hears a frustrated sigh, followed by very loud typing that seems to prod straight into his back. Sure enough, after a vindictive final click that Robert perceives to be the send button, he receives a reply filled with passive-aggressive great thank yous and enough revision suggestions to keep him occupied for the rest of the day. He sighs. He knows not to turn around. Martha will not be looking at him. Just when he is about to reopen the proof, something on the television screen that peeps out from the break room prompts him to get up. Coffee, Martha? He mumbles, 
You're a star, Thomas, Martha's trained sing-song voice replied. Robert doesn't correct her. His focus is on the clip, playing on some obscure newscast. It is the same video of the man in the cape that he saw all those years ago, Granny Saving Guy. He comes within earshot of the TV just as a woman's voice announces a name. The Platinum Peregrine has long eluded the general public as one of the most obscure superheroes. Not much is known about him, yet once in a while footage pops up of him swooping down and scooping up damsels, dames and, recently, dandies in distress. Footage switches to a costumed man at a renaissance fair who is falling down a castle wall until he's caught by a man in a cape in mid-flight. He is noticeably older than the man from the earlier clip, but it is unmistakably him. Platinum Peregrine, Robert mumbles. The newsreader's voice continues. He must be nearing retirement age by now, but his popularity has skyrocketed in the past weeks. New to the world of stardom he may be, but his presence has enthralled a select group of fanatics for much longer. Here with us today is Vincent Moll, a rabid fan who claims to have uncovered personal information about the origins of the Platinum Peregrine. Vincent, welcome! A skinny man with a hooked nose and an ill-fitting suit shifts eagerly in his seat as he shows many yellow teeth to the camera. I wouldn't describe myself as rabid per se, Sally, or indeed a, a fan. I would say I'm a theoretician, a researcher, and a specialist. To Robert, Vincent Moll looks the epitome of suave. He has more hair gel than Robert has ever dared use, creating an artificial cowlick that strains to spring into a bunch of curls but is crammed into shape. You see, Sally, Vincent Moll continues, my research reveals that the Platinum Peregrine was one of 20 illegal installation workers for the now obsolete 33J antennae created by the Jackdaw Corporation. While mainstream news sources insist that the rays emitted by these antennae are harmless, I have uncovered buried proof that the most powerful station of the Jackdaw Corporation had an antenna that emitted more than 400 times the permitted 33J rays. Peculiarly, the antennae attracted all kinds of birds from the area, which nested there in huge masses. Three installation workers were deployed to remove the nests, but they were viciously attacked by the winged creatures. Two corpses were found in the vicinity, but the third victim was never recovered. Now, Sally! Vincent Moll leans forward and grins into the camera. You must remember that these birds were supercharged with 33J rays. Ignored specialists have speculated that these rays can alter DNA, supercharge your neurons and have effects that our minds cannot even begin to comprehend. Imagine thousands of radiating beaks sinking into one man's flesh, fusing and altering him until he becomes something else altogether. I put it to you. Sally, that the Platinum Peregrine is a mutated birdman, an abomination spawned from feathers and beaks, the child of illegal radiation, vicious fowl, and one undereducated working-class human. Is that really the kind of creature we want polluting our airspace? I venture that... Vincent Moll disappears from the screen and is replaced by a chuckling anchorman. 
It really takes all kinds, doesn't it? Good luck escorting that one out, Sally. And now, the weather. A seagull flying past the window bursts into blood confetti as Robert tries to control his enthusiasm. The platinum peregrine, his childhood hero, is part bird? This would inexorably link him to Robert, his his natural predator, the birdman versus the man who can explode birds with his mind. A tickly feeling in his throat is too unfamiliar to Robert for him to recognize it as hope. But that is what it is. Right after giving up all belief that he may have an impact on the world somehow, he finds that he might still have what it takes to be a supervillain. That beats implementing Martha's useless revisions every day. I'm going on break, he whispers, and edges towards the exit. Nobody stops him. Outside, Robert is all fiery with nowhere to burn. Where would he find his flying hero? What would he do if he found him? How close by would he have to be if he wanted to, hypothetically, say, explode the Platinum Peregrine with his mind? He does a quick test on a bunch of sparrows clouding the trees around the office. About half of them come plummeting down and create a gutsy splatterfest around Robert with an approximate 10 meter radius. He'd have to come quite close then. Not an easy task. Should he join some kind of organized supervillain conglomerate and get assistance? How does one go about contacting supervillain conglomerates? Robert is extremely ignorant about any criminal underbellies the town might have. He knows they exist, but the idea of them existing in the same space as him is an alien one. Casinos! There's a casino a few streets away from his apartment complex. He's never gone in because it seems terribly shady, but that's exactly what he needs right now, right? And it's daytime, when good, honest workers are supposed to be at work. Surely this is the time the criminal underbelly types come out and gamble and do their morning drugs and whatnot. The casino looks pretty deserted from the outside, but it is open. Robert self-consciously picks a sparrow foot off his shoulder and steps in. Patchy carpeting is the first impression he registers partly because its tired smell, blended with ghosts of cigarette smoke and stale beer, assaults his senses. There are a couple of grannies yanking at a slot machine, and a few trucker types sitting at a deserted bar. Robert tries to mosey as he approaches the trucker type. He moseys right on back, because they look quite scary. One of the grannies notices him, and beckons him over. She looks quite endearing. Is that a new face I see? She asks, smiling empathetically. Job give you the sack then, dearie. Don't you go emptying all your savings here right away. Pick a sensible budget and stick to it is my advice. The slots here are quite nice for beginners. Thank you, Robert responds politely. I'm actually not here to partake. I am looking for someone. Who's that then, Puppet? I'm not sure exactly... It's not something I should bother you with, anyhow. You're looking to get high, Precious, is that it? No, 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 ma'am, I, I would never... Tranks? Moggies? Bit of the glad stuff there, no more of a molly jolly. I've got guys for all types, you know, Flower. White girl with a pinch of dragon is my personal favourite. 
Robert blinks. Has he found the wrinkly underbelly? Um, how would I... The granny taps her nose and winks. Follow me, Buttercup. She stands up, grabs her stroller, and leads Robert through a back door. Robert wakes up in a dirty alley behind the casino, two throbbing stroller-wheel-shaped bruises on his back and head, and one wallet lighter. His vision takes a few minutes to focus. Someone is looming over him and laughing without making a sound. No, it's not a person. It's a poster, showing an intimidating face with crazed eyes, an unnaturally large, fangy smile, and a purple mask. A white text underneath states, This could be you. Head pounding, Robert rolls over a bit, his torn jacket sticking to whatever foul substance is coating the cobblestones. He hoists himself up on an elbow to read the smaller text. Call Vincent Mole, followed by a phone number. More posters surround this one, showing pictures of successful people living the high life, superheroes flying around, dark figures skulking in shadows, all of them with the same message. This could be you. Call Vincent Mole. It takes a while for Robert to locate a phone, since his own was stolen. When he finally finds an ancient payphone and dials the number, a recorded message plays, Paragon Park, by the fountain, 8pm. Sure enough, when Robert arrives, the hook-nosed man from the television is standing by the fountain. He is wearing an old Matrix-style jacket, black with scuffed patches. He looks like he's had a rough day, his curls starting to spring from their gel prison. His hands are stuffed deep in his pockets, and he tuts as Robert makes eye contact. Yeah, yeah, it's the crazy guy from TV. Take a picture, why don't you? You wouldn't be the first. Sorry, I I actually... I, I saw the posters. This could be you? Vincent Mole raises an eyebrow. Those things are still up. It was a thing I was trying out. The posters aren't mine, I just put a sticker with my contact info underneath anything that looked cool. Sorry to disappoint you. Robert is not disappointed at all. What a resourceful way to draw attention. What were they for? Were you looking for people? Vincent Mole scoffs. You know, you'd think people want to make the most of their lives. Make a difference, you know. I thought... People jump at the opportunity to get a life manager. That's what I wanted to offer, you see. But I have only had three people respond, and two of them were mental, and one of them tried to sell me a subscription to a new electricity contract or some bullshit. I still come here once every few evenings in any case, become a bit of a habit. You just happened to come by when I was actually here. Robert stares at the disgruntled guy. Somehow... Everything Vincent Mole does looks cool to Robert. The jacket is retro and unapologetic. The clear disillusionment reminds him of some veteran who'd say things like, I'm too old for this shit. And moreover, Robert has never met anyone who has been on TV before. You were on TV. How did you manage that? Robert nearly squeezes when Vincent pulls out a cigarette and lights it. Robert's never dared try a smoke before. 
The Platinum Peregrine is picking up in popularity after the Renaissance rescue was caught in camera. I've been into him way before he got all popular. I thought the world was ready for my truth, but apparently all the masses can do is gawk and giggle and bleat. You're a fan of the Peregrine, then? When did I say that? I wish people would stop assuming things. I'm a fan of the underappreciated and how they can make a name for themselves. The Peregrine was a nobody until he got the right attention. Save a guy in a ruffle shirt and a wig falling down a castle well when the cameras are rolling and bam, you were a hit. It's all about marketing, you know. Get a good story, the right audience, tweak the right buttons. Vincent Moll breathes out a puff of smoke and stares into the distance. You can make a star. My dream was to take a nobody and market them to the top, prove I can manipulate the machine. Vincent Moll scowls. You'd think that Birdman would thank me for pushing the guy off in the first place. You know how hard it is to get the timing right for something like that? I worked out where he was going to be patrolling, which suitable event was nearby, where event cams were being followed by thousands of people. Selecting someone in a costume that would look good on camera juxtaposed with the peregrine's cape. Luring the guy up, timing the push, the whole shebang was a work of brilliance. You'd think the peregrine would be grateful after his follower count exploded? Did he heck? Threatened to hand me over to the cops if I showed up near him again. So yeah, I got on TV to expose his little secret, show him what's what. Problem is, he'd grown too fast already, too big to be heard by me. I had been too successful. This is a guy who knows how to make someone seen, Robert thinks. Everything I've never been able to do, and this Vincent Moll isn't even thanked for his tremendous gift he has to offer. I'd have thanked you, he mutters. All I've ever wanted was for people to see my value. Vincent looks at Robert as if he had forgotten he was there. Oh yeah, and what is your value then? For a moment Robert is stumped. He knows he wants to be appreciated, but for what? Then he remembers. Look, he says, and he points to a robin that is hopping on the side of the fountain. Vincent turns, just in time to be hit in the face with a spray of aviary debris. He looks back at Robert, eyes popping out of their sockets through a blood-splattered face. Holy shit, he says. Uh, It's just birds, though, Robert says hurriedly. The toothy grin Robert saw on television slowly spreads on Vincent Moll's face as he replies, I fucking hate birds. The man who can explode birds with his mind is not a catchy enough name, Vincent Moll decides. It only takes a few hours passionate workshopping to come up with the pitch that will introduce an overwhelmed Robert to the world as the new super nemesis to the Platinum Peregrine. Tip your hat as he walks by, or sorrow will cloud your sky. Say hello to Mr. Magpie. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Two for Joy was written and narrated by Alexandra Elroy 
edited by Duncan Muggleton, with music by Duncan Muggleton and Tom Robson, and sound effects provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. A quick thanks to our community managers Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and to Carolyn O'Brien for help with our submission reading, and of course to the Grand Magus, Ben Errington, for the content campaigns, dungeons, troll caves, elf woods, and tiefling towns he takes us to in his ongoing game of social media Dungeons and Dragons. Alexandra is a bilingual voice actress and writer who lives in the Netherlands. She loves everything to do with stories, especially creative and playful horror. Her favourite voices to do are witches, goblins, and crazy computers. When she is not voicing or writing, she directs plays that she adapted from classic novels such as Pride and Prejudice, Death on the Nile, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. If you're listening to today's episode and you're thinking, I would love to have an episode of The Other Stories dedicated to me or someone I love or maybe to a cause I'm passionate about or to a type of sandwich that I really enjoy, then you can get in touch over at theotherstories.net forward slash contact. Once again, that's theotherstories.net forward slash contact. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license that means don't change it don't sell it but by all means share the hell out of it so until next time